Catch new episodes of Dial the Gate weekends at youtube.com slash dialthegate. And for the latest schedule, visit dialthegate.com. Hello, Stargate fans. Don't mind my weird camera angles here. My name is David Reed. Welcome to Dial the Gate, episode 116. Joseph Malazzi is back to discuss season four of Stargate Atlantis, the year that he and Paul Mully took over as executive producers of the show. This is going to be an interesting episode. But before we bring him in, if you enjoy Stargate and you want more content like this on YouTube, it would mean a great uh, deal if you click that like button it really makes a difference with youtube's algorithm and will definitely help the show grow its audience please do consider sharing this video with a stargate friend and if you want to get notified about future episodes click the subscribe icon giving the bell icon a click will notify you the moment a new video drops and you'll get my notifications of any last minute guest changes this is key if you um, plan on watching live and clips from this live stream will be released over the course of the next several days on both the dial the gate and gateworld.net youtube channels now, as this is a live episode, Joe is with me live on youtube.com slash dialthegate uh, for the next uh, hour and change. So if you have questions for him, our moderators are in the chat uh, ready to receive those. So you just type at dialthegate and then ask a question, and then they'll get those over to me, and I will ask a handful of those questions at the end of uh, the interview. Uh, we're focusing on Season 4 of Atlantis in this episode, so those questions will be the first to get entertained uh, by me. Without further ado, Joseph Malazzi, writer, executive producer, Stargate Atlantis, Season 4, Joe. Man. This takes me back. Yes, I would imagine it does. Mostly good feelings, I'm hoping? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, uh, you know, bittersweet. Uh, Brad and Robert uh, uh, moved on, handed, uh, handed over the reins, and uh, Paul and I stepped up, and with the backing of uh, Carl Binder and uh, Martin Garrow and uh, Alan McCullough, um, I think delivered a great fourth season. It's one of my favorites of um, of the show for sure. Uh, before I get into that, how much um, exposure of fan content have you have you had uh, on online in terms of like fan production, fan videos, um, uh, fan films? I, to be honest with you, I have not checked out uh, any of the fan films. Or uh, um, I mean, I think I think I checked out. One, but it was a long time ago. Okay. I will check out, you know, creations online. If it's on Twitter and with a click, I can see it. Uh, I will check it out. Um, some really great uh, stuff out there. But well, in terms of like fan films, they just feel like such a big investment. Um, you know, I haven't had really had the opportunity to check check them out. I can understand that. Power 543 Fan Films just released a uh, a short. It's about six minutes long called Stargate SG-1 New Mission. And they sent me the link yesterday. And I'm going to post that at the end of um, of our video here. It's, it's brand new. And I'm always on board for helping to promote uh, this kind of content in the fan community. So I wanted to bring that up at the top of the show. 
I will definitely check it out. Stargate Atlantis Season 4 um, brought out some major changes to the franchise. I really felt, me personally, largely, that the the season really showed that Atlantis had legs. And I mean, if you think back on SG-1, see, season four of SG-1, not to say that, that the seasons that came before it weren't solid, but it was really, again, proving that the material worked. Um, and uh, it was, it's just, you know, a, another excellent season proving that the material is solid. Um, I'm, I'm getting a notification here that uh, that your mic is a little bit soft. If you could move a little bit closer to your mic, then that would... Or Oh, oh, it's you're wearing it. If you could just speak up. Sure, okay. Okay. Yeah, but how was your how um would you agree with that statement that the that the season was was just just proving that uh that this this model continues to work regardless of what show show uh the Stargate is featured in that this thing is just is just going places? I I mean, I guess so. Um I mean, at that at that point I mean, Brad and Robert had done such a brilliant job of really setting everything up that, you know, we, you know, it was very easy to just pick up where they, uh, where they had left off. And, um, I mean, this is one thing I said about, you know, I realized that after the fourth season of SG-1 is that once you establish that mythology and those, you know, that first, get that first season or two under your belt, then there are so many stories you can go back to and so much backstory that you can mine. Uh, so it really, we just kind of hit the ground running. Legit. I just got a message from Paul McGillian. He says he sent you a question. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Is it a uh, Carson Beckett question? I, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> We're gonna have to wait and see. <laughs> uh, moderators, make sure that we find that one. I hope. I hope that that's in here somewhere. Um, Summer says, unfortunately, something. Anyway. Uh, too low volume. So we're still, yeah, we're still having some kind of a volume issue. I'm lowering my volume on my end to see if, if fans can, um, if we can, if we can get them to, to, to raise their volume because I've, I'm trying to, I've, I've maximized it on, on your side. Okay. I've, I've raised it a bit on my side, so I'll see if that helps at all. Let's see. Yeah. Okay. We're gonna. We're just gonna have to do the best that we can. All right. All right. Um, Amanda Tapping joined this season. Yes. So tell us about uh, the process that you recall of bringing her on board. Um. Yeah. To be honest with you, we had, there were a couple of ways we could have gone, uh, but I thought the one that made the most sense was to bring Carter on board and uh, you know hopefully some rare SG-1 fans that hadn't checked out Atlantis yet uh, and so we approached Amanda and and she obviously loved the idea and and uh, and we wrote her in and it was just kind of a lot of fun to uh, you know we've done crossovers before but it was a first time you know obviously we established a an SG one regular in our Atlantis universe. So you know, in that respect, it was you know, very exciting. Very felt very fresh, and uh, and it just it opened up a host of possibilities for us. 
But okay, was there some concern that uh, at the time, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, I'm, I'm recalling that um, uh, there was there was some concern that SG One was going to steal Atlantis's thunder, or that well, this the, the reason that they're doing this is because you know Atlantis is struggling or something. I remember at the time seeing a lot of that and, and thinking this is just to, to further the connection. AOD asked concern from who? Uh, right. Uh, secondly, uh, I mean, the ratings were strong for both shows. Uh, so, you know, that really wasn't you know, obviously a reason. Um, and then in terms of sort of, you know, we were cognizant of the fact that, you know, the Carter character is almost kind of, you know, bigger than life. And so she really stepped into the, to the role of, of you know, kind of uh, the project overseer. Um, so, in, you know, in retrospect, I mean, I think we were we were pretty mindful of, of you know, bringing this element of SG-1 into Atlantis, but not having it overpower uh, or overshadow Atlantis. Uh, and one of the ways we did that was just to, you know, make Carter's role on Atlantis very, you know, specific. Um, and so she didn't really get the chance to go off world because, you know, just from the leadership standpoint, it really didn't really make sense. But in retrospect, I think it would have been a lot of fun if we'd actually taken her off world more. Yeah, I think That's that that way to do it. That was one of the, um, I think, concerns that Tori Higginson has has uh, uh, illustrated mm-hmm. that there wasn't a great deal of. Uh, if she had second billing, you know, there wasn't a great deal for her to do um, unless, you know, she was off world a part of, and a part of that team. And I, I remember, you know, seeing, you know, more episodes uh, uh, that were geared toward her doing that. But Carter was much more of a, much more of, a, I think, played that more administrative role. And it, it felt to me like it was, this is not the this is not the Samantha Carter SG one on Atlantis show. This is still very much the Atlantis people, and and Carter is like like an added treat for the fans, and that's that's what I walked away with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for instance, if, Car- if Carter would have taken over command of the SGC, she wouldn't have been going off world, and she would have uh, essentially served the same purpose from sort of a a, a in story practical standpoint, but also from a you know, in a creative standpoint, wouldn't really make sense. Like, you know, Hammond going off world, that rarely happened. Um, whereas with Weir, she was a diplomat by training. So occasionally it would make sense for her to go off world to, in, you know, in dealing with, um, you know, in negotiations or the like. Exactly. All right. So some of your favorite episodes for this season, what would you what would you have to say stands out for you? This this pivotal uh, year for you guys, you're now executive producers of the show. Your hands are firmly on the on the steering wheel. I'm going to have to bring up I, to see which episodes <laughs> were specifically season four episodes. Gate World Cheat Sheet. Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. Or, you know, my, my trusty. Uh, IMDB here. Joe, is this the first time you've ever used um, this particular microphone? No. Really? Okay. Hmm. Strange. Hang on. Let me. I've uh, I've done the old plug it, unplug it, and plug it back in. How's that? Same thing, but it's it's all good. 
and people are still getting complaints. They're just we're just gonna have to they're just gonna have to get over it. All right. Sorry, guys. Uh, well, season four. Let's see. Yes. Uh, oh, we started with the adrift lifeline. Together. Yes. That was that was great fun. I mean, we shot that. I think this was the year. No, no. I, you know, I, yeah. So, yeah, you know, I remember actually uploading a video. If you fans follow me on Twitter, uh, look for it, where um, we where we do a kind of behind the scenes on um, the uh, the um, kind of the space jump with uh, with uh, Joe and uh, and David Nickel. Um, yes. Yeah, and this was provided to us by our our whiz visual effects supervisor, Mark Savella, who's always uh, fantastic. And I remember we shot that on our, yeah, our standing sets and, uh, and, and used green screen. And um, it, was, uh, it's an, it was an epic two-parter. Uh, and then just off the top of my head, I mean, I can go through them all. Uh, <laughs> there's, uh, you know, Reunion was, was, was fun because it was actually the first of the, uh, the unplanned two-parter. Remember, uh, you know, Jason came into my office, and uh, as he would often do, he'd basically, you know, pitch out ideas. And you know, um, I should be the only uh, member of the cast who would actually come by and say, "Hey, how about this type of story or that type of story?" Uh, and so that this episode came about as a result of uh, of his uh, of his gentle prodding. Oh, really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 It was. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. That doppelganger, a yeah, Robert Cooper idea. Yeah, the 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 thing I remember most about this episode is there is there is a sequence where we use a ratchet on on Joe, where he was on one of the upper um, he he was in the gate room. Yeah, and I get I guess he gets pushed or something. Yes, and he flies through the rail, and it's a ratchet pull where essentially he's wearing a vest underneath uh, his his uh, wardrobe. And you know somebody says three, two, one, go, and he is yanked uh, through the railing. And I think it was the first time we tried it, and they hooked him up and counted down three, two, one, go, and he didn't go. And so he relaxed. And then at that point, it uh, it just engaged and, and basically <laughs> pulled him out of uh, out of scene and. Uh, that look of surprise on Joe's face just before he he went was uh, was pretty priceless. Wow! <laughs> it just was a delay. Yeah, yeah. It, it was just funny because he was ready for it. He was braced, and then it didn't happen, and he relaxed, and that's when it happened. Jeez, that's the, I mean, part of me would be like, okay, it, it, do I have an enemy on on the mm, production? Mm. <laughs> Is someone messing with me here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, this kind of, just preliminary thoughts on all these episodes. But Travelers was interesting because I remember we were walking in the set of Travelers, uh, the, the, the spaceship set. And I was thinking, at the time, um, I was developing Dark Matter, which was basically what, in 19, it was 2007. So it was like six years until I actually got Correct. Dark Matter to air. And I remember Paul and I were walking the halls of the, of the ship and saying, Wow, you know what? If you know this is the last season of Atlantis, we should save this traveler set, and we could roll right into Dark Matter, and this could be, you know, the Dark Matter ship. Uh, and uh, you know, of course, 
we ended up getting picked up and then doing uh, Strike at Universal. The, the set was long gone by then, but uh, that is a standout memory of, uh, of uh, Traveler. It, there are definitely similarities, I think, with the, mm. the, the Traveler design and mm. uh, your ship from Dark Matter, for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, the Travelers, I think, were, a, were a, a cool take because it kind of took us back to a group of aliens that, wh- where do they stand with us? You know, we don't really know. And mm-hmm. so we have to be careful because they could go basically either way, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and they come in handy later on in the season. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Well, that was, and then Tabula Raza was uh, uh, Alan McCullough's Ode to Memento, uh, which, uh, which was a lot of fun. But sadly, I don't remember that much about the production of this particular episode. But I do remember the next one missing. Yes. Where... Um, you know, it was it was great. It was, you know, uh, Jewel and uh, and Rachel, and they were out in the forest. And I remember um, we ended up building that rope bridge. Yes. We built, yeah, we built that for the episode. And to, was it like a tremendous cost? Because not so much because it was that it was a uh, an expensive build, but because we couldn't risk anyone happening across it and trying to cross it. So we had to actually hire a guard when we were not shooting, like a security guard to, you know, stay on duty morning and night and ensure that no one attempt to cross it before you know, we eventually take it down. So, um, you know, that is one thing I remember about the episode. The other one is uh, there's a uh, there's a moment where um, uh, uh, Rachel or Taylor uh, Spears a creature, like a squid-like creature, Correct. ends up eating, and uh, you know, for some reason, in the script, it was described, it was described as a space gopher, and uh, and James Robbins did a brilliant concept art of a space gopher, and it looked like essentially it looked like a a a, uh, a gopher with uh, luminescent eyes, uh, and I have the concept art somewhere. When when I when eventually I get through the you know, I'm, I'm basically uh, posting concept art from from every season of, of of the show, and right now I'm working my way up through SG One. I think I'm in uh, season six or finishing up season six. But when you get to Atlantis, season four, watch out for that space gopher. Um, and then another thing I remember about this episode was that sequence where Keller is reluctant to cross the bridge because she has a fear of heights, and Taylor's like getting frustrated with her and is like, "Come on!" and you know. Tila, you know, just kind of barrels through. Uh, whereas in reality, it was the opposite. Uh, really? Absolutely, absolutely fine getting on that bridge and crossing. Whereas Rachel, much like myself, didn't want to be anywhere near that bridge. <laughs> I didn't know the story about you guys having to hire security for that. That was absolute. Yeah. That would have been absolutely crazy. Yes, yes, yes. You only realize it after the fact. I was like, ah. Man, all right. Um, okay, so yes, and then we had the seer. Yes, yes. Uh, again, that was one I don't recall. That this is a great episode where um, we had uh, it was an Alan McCullough story directed by Andy Makita, where uh, Davos, uh, played by Martin Jarvis, uh, oh, gives yeah. people yeah. a glimpse of a possible future. 
Right. You're doing some foreshadowing for later in the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 and yeah. I just, I just remember the performances in that episode were 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 excellent. And then we have Miller's Crossing, which is the return of uh, David's Hewlett's sister, Jeannie. Yes, yes, and uh, you know Martin's Mar- Martin's quest for for a title for the episode was a bit of a reach, but uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, it, he started it, it a trend. A fun episode, yeah. I mean, Martin Martin was always really good at those episodes that got into kind of like the heart of the character, especially the McKay character. I mean, you could tell he, uh, you know, he truly loved writing for that character, and uh, and and kind of this one is a, a real uh, a real uh, standout. Okay, sorry for that, everybody. Now, so. Everybody yes. was able to hear everything, though. Yes, to, yes, they, I, we were, but um, no, I mean, we're, we're just going to go ahead and proceed. It's just not going to be as soft for them as, as before. So okay. for those who have the audio podcast version uh, to listen to, when all is said and done, they'll have the benefit of it all being leveled out. Excellent. Okay. Mortal Coil and All My Sins yeah. Remembered. Uh, yeah. I loved okay. these episodes. Yeah, I'm glad you did, because this one was, uh, this Mortal Coil was probably the hardest episode I've ever written. Uh, How it so? Went through, it just, you know, there are just certain episodes that it, it just wasn't working for the rest of the writing staff. And, uh, and I went through, I think, I want to say like five or six different uh, drafts on this script. And uh, I remember Carol Binder coming into my office and saying, a little rough still a little rough and i'd be like oh, okay and then i'd go back to the drawing board and, and i think this was the script that that um kind of encapsulated sort of for me um my approach to writing when we sort of paul just said he's like look this the the, the issue the the biggest note that you get is the fact that you give the audience too much credit like i assume they will be able to read into things that you know i as a writer find obvious but paul would argue is an average viewer would not be obvious so um you know that was something i had to be mindful of in the rewrites and in in subsequent uh scripts i would always think that i mean that we could we could spend an episode on just talking about in itself for an hour is always a dance between what's too obscure and what's too on the nose. Yeah. Um, and there is a certain amount of, I would think, you have to be aware to a certain degree of what kind of audience is watching and you know how, att- it's not just intelligent, but it- attentive you expect them to be. I mean, yeah. is this a show, are you creating a show where you can watch it and wash the dishes? Which you're not really watching it, I would argue. Well, or... it's funny because it's funny because, you know, I've been told that a lot of popular shows are popular because of that. Because you can be doing something else. You can be talking to your friends, you can be washing dishes, you can be playing a video game, and it'll be on in the background and you'll be able to follow along. You're and, not actually uh, needing to pay attention. Yes. Yeah. That's not entertainment. That's that's background I, noise. Yes. I agree. Yeah. That sounds like my folks. They always say, and you know you're watching, Mom and Dad. Mm-hmm. You always have to have a TV on in the room. I mean, I mean, to, to be fair, it's, a lot, it's not like I'm writing Tenet every episode. Right? <laughs> so it's, it, it's, it's exactly not, right. you know, 
I, in my mind, it's not that difficult to follow, but, you know, point taken. But it is of, of the same um, expectation of quality on a TV budget. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I'm not tr- turning in expecting to do backflips with my brain, but at right. the same time, I'm expecting to have my presuppositions challenged. And that's, I think, what Stargate did well. And I think this Mortal Coil is a fine example of it. And the fact that you had trouble cracking it, uh, and it's still turning out solid, in my opinion. Even Darren uh, rates it here three out of four, which is good. Um, is an example that you know you were on the right track. Well, thank you. <laughs> After all these years, I, I feel vindicated. It was a great episode because it brought back Weir, someone whom mm-hmm. we lost earlier in the season. Uh, great final scenes with David Ogden Stars uh, mm-hmm. uh, with uh, with Tori, and. Um, we think that that's it, mm-hmm. but it's not. Right. And I have to share a personal anecdote about Be All My Sins Remembered, which is which is one of my favorite Atlantis episodes for, for many reasons. Be All My Sins uh, aired January the 4th, 2008, when the first announcement for Stargate Worlds, the MMO, uh, came out on television. Uh, the, the Stargate Worlds had been announced before, uh, but this was really the the first shot at seeing uh, a, a teaser trailer for the game. The teaser trailer was called Water. This was something that that me and my uh, team at, at Cheyenne were were part of in the in the uh, marketing uh, division, and it aired in a commercial break during uh, Beyond My Sins Remembered, mm-hmm. and I had half of the well, probably a quarter of the personnel working on the game over at my house. We're all watching Be All My Sins Remembered. The trailer for Water comes on throughout our history. Mankind has always crossed great expanses on missions of discovery. And we're all like, oh, that was amazing. That was amazing. Now back to the episode. And Weir is revealed at the end. And the entire room of like 30 people just went quiet. And we all looked at one another going, what the <laughs> that was so my hairs are standing on end right now just thinking about it it was one of those like slap across your faces what did we just see what are the expectations being set up for the future mm-hmm. and it was just a, a it was it could have been a series finale in terms mm-hmm. of its scope in terms of everything coming together the travelers the wraith you know everyone going to uh to to Take down this threat to the Pegasus galaxy. It's a great episode of television. Thank you. Yeah, it was one thing that I love doing is A, subverting audience expectations, which is something we discussed, which, you know, I I really set out to do a lot of in Dark Matter. And two, setting up and paying off a good cliffhanger ending that, you know, know, hopefully gets paid off down the line. I just love a cliffhanger ending, much to the consternation of... Of, uh, of many a fan. <laughs> Michelle Morgan was introduced yes. in this episode as yeah. Fran, the friendly replicator yes. android. Who's amazing. 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 Could have been a one-off, you know. It's a very small part. It got yeah. 
everyone talking about it because what are the implications of this? We're creating what is clearly a sentient being who is clearly okay with being a bomb. She's just fulfilling her purpose, you know, but it left a door open to the future, which we exploit later on in season five using her template to bring back Weir. Tell us a little about Fran. Did, was it Martin Garrow's idea for Fran? Was it the whole writer's room? Who who um, who really um, brought that together? To be honest with you, I don't recall. Okay. Um, I, I, I don't recall okay. the specifics of, the, of who came up with the Fran character. Okay. But we get into what, in my opinion, is one of the more controversial aspects of the season. Mm-hmm. And I had alluded to this before. When the episode aired and GateWorld was doing retrospectives, it was one of those things where we always like to look at the moral angle of every episode. Mm-hmm. Of every episode. Because we think that's one of the things that, that Stargate does so well. And um, we have this threat by a sentient race of beings created by the ancients to defeat the wraith and uh they they are gunning for us after considering after what happened with them in the season three finale when we did a a preemptive strike and wiped out their their military bases um they clearly have wrath and you know uh, want to take us down so we all get together and, and eliminate this threat and I remember thinking and looking at the uh, 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 at the planet as it's being destroyed. There are trees down there. You could imagine that there are parks down there. There is. This mm-hmm. is not just uh, a civilization of war machines. This is a mm-hmm. civilization of potentially, you know, some of whom could potentially be peaceful beings. All of whom appear to be leading leading some kind of lives in addition to their their combined goal. Um, what is your th- to bring it down to it? What is your thoughts on terminating a civilization? Was there was that a consideration in the in the writers' room? Yeah, like- I mean, it, it's you know, and it, it's it's something we deal with a couple of uh, episodes later. This kind of uh, moral ambiguity, the um, you know, the sacrifices you make for the greater good, and and I mean. For instance, this was one. Um, there's another one we can talk about in the later episode, where um, um, you know, uh, Shepard. Um, is it is it this season? Uh, are you are we referring we, to Outcast? Yeah, Outcast. Yeah, Outcast. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. that comes up in a few episodes. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, we were very mindful of that, and I always kind of like those dilemmas because it's easy to say, well, you know. You wouldn't do it, and yet, if you don't do it, what kind of a price do you pay further on down the line? It's it's fair because you've you know we've at the end of the day you know it's either them or us, mm-hmm. and in this in this case the us is the freaking rest of the galaxy because mm-hmm. the the them the replicators are abiding their time, and who knows what they're going to do. So right. it's it was always a difficult call, but I mean, and at the end of the day, I think I think Darren and I had agreed, you know, the, the right decision was made. But what are the implications of that when you cross that line? Yeah, yeah, and and is it next season where where some of those decisions come back to haunt us? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll we'll talk. We'll about talk that. about that then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 
Spoils of War. Uh, another return of... T- oh, you know, before I get to that, we haven't discussed Michael Beach. Bringing him on as Abraham Ellis, yeah. captain of the Apollo. We didn't discuss Michael last season. He, he is a fantastic actor. Just... You know, wonderful. wonderful. He's cool. He does. Yeah. And, you know, I wish that there was more, there had been more for him to do. Mm-hmm. You know, him yeah. and and Mitch Pileggi, Stephen Caldwell, they're kind mm-hmm. of the truck drivers uh, uh, for for the show. They they bring the supplies. They occasionally assist in uh, in uh, multi-pronged attacks uh, mm-hmm. on, on targets. I just really wish that, you know, there had been kind of an, like a, a midway kind of episode, if you will, for the captains of these ships, uh, like Teal'c and Ronan kind of had uh, in in Midway. Yeah, I mean, you know, you always look back and think, oh, you know, this character we should have used more, and, yeah. and this character we should have brought, brought back. But when you're kind of in the thick of it and um, spinning stories, uh, it's it often is such a whirl mm-hmm. that you're, you're just. You know the production machine eats up those scripts, those like seven or eight scripts that you you bank before the before the start of the season. Suddenly they're gone, and you're going to be heading into production in a couple of weeks, and you desperately need a script. And and so you know that often you know, you know, often you don't have the luxury to basically sit back and sort of take you know an overview of sort of what's mm-hmm. working. You know this season, who who's 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 really popping. You know, often by the time you see the dailies and you see who's popping or what's really working you're already, you're already you know six or seven episodes mm-hmm. uh, down the line in terms of uh, uh, uh scripting so, uh complete right turn at mm-hmm. what point in the season did uh rachel have her conversation with you about her pregnancy tell tell us about about when you found out and the well, decisions I'll, that let, you guys let, made well can we talk about that when we get to quarantine or shall we just talk about quarantine? Yes. Okay, so quarantine. Sounds good. <laughs> uh, uh, McKay is developing his uh, relationship with Katie Brown. Correct. And in the writer's room, we were discussing the possibility of actually making her pregnant. And then ha- having, is playing, you know, making Rodney a father. And, and all the kind of rich story and, and humor story opportunities that would provide and we were going to go down that road until we found out that rachel was pregnant and then uh we had to switch things up a bit obviously so it was so during is... quarantine that you were that this was going on um i don't think we we had decided to sort of um uh say the character was pregnant in this episode i think we were discussing it in this episode uh, uh, for a future episode, and then, you know, I think it was around, yeah, at this point that um, that uh, that Rachel let us know, and so basically we had to kind of shift. Well, because at the end of 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 missing, which is earlier on in the season, um, the end of that episode, Keller already knows that she's pregnant. Okay, so then I guess it had to be earlier then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So she. But I mean, by the time we had while we were writing the script um you know i mean those, those first i don't know what episode is it uh i mean those early scripts were mm-hmm. written well before we went to camera um and you know well well before we found out about uh about uh, rachel but um yeah i mean the plan was to sort of make rodney a father and uh wow, wow that would be kind of kind of fun and having to deal with 
you know, saving, saving the galaxy while at the same time, you know, making sure he had time to spend with his son or, and or daughter. Uh, so wow. you know, it's funny how sometimes, you know, things just kind of, you know, switch up on you. It that would have definitely been interesting to see that kind of character switch gears and mm. and rise uh, to the uh, rise to the occasion, you mm. know, of being not only uh, uh, Mister Fantastic in the rest of the galaxy, <laughs> but also right. in terms of his 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 wizard his techni- technical wizardry, but also mm. having to be you know Mister Mom at the same time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. Legit. Interesting way to go. Yeah. Absolutely. Harmony. Harmony. Uh, this one takes me back. To oh, yes. A real wearing directed episode. And uh, I remember I was in the r- room with, with Martin and, and Carl, and we broke this story, and it was so much fun. And we cast the best actress we, we could possibly cast for the role, uh, Jodell Ferlin. 13-year-old Jodell Ferlin as Princess Harmony. And, uh, you know, as I'm fond of telling everyone when we were on, you know, on location shooting, I mean, her mother Val was there and I would, you know, talk to Val while they would shoot the scenes. And Jodell knew all of her lines. Like She was perfect, just perfect. Not only wow. knew her lines, but just delivered them to perfection. And then when David or Joe would kind of flub a line or would hesitate, she would prompt them because she knew their lines as well. <laughs> Jeez. And, Yes, and so many, many years later, when we were casting Dark Matter, I was like, I know who five has to be. It has to be Jodell Ferlin, and she was. She was the perfect five. Wow. You know, it's it's those little things. Uh, you you always want to to cast someone who you knew you know can do uh, the job, mm-hmm. and yeah. it's just you know the right person at the right time comes in and makes yeah. it happen. Yeah, yeah. Wow. She was, yeah, she was terrific. I like that episode. Like, yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, I was just saying that that we were looking for her to bring her back in season five, but we just couldn't find the story for the, the, the right story. I, I love that her character, uh, while, while it sometimes does uh, uh, go in expected ways, she also goes against type by not being meek and mm-hmm. helpless, you know, right. with her knife. You know, she yeah, knows yeah. <laughs> she and that yeah. knife man. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was a great character for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the ending with the painting of yeah. her yeah. depiction of yes. of the uh, the victory. We sold that yeah. at PropWorks, and it did pretty well, if I recall. Oh, yeah? How much do you, what, do you remember? How much? Um, yeah, hang on. Harmonies victory painting PropWorks. Um. How much did it go for? Live auctioneers is having problems. <laughs> oh. So never mind. Oh, well, okay. It was thousands. Thousands. Wow. I'm, okay. I'm pretty. I'm pretty positive. See the sold price. Here we go. Hmm. Uh, let me have a look here. For those who are wanting to know, let me see. Harmony's Victory painting sold for four thousand five hundred dollars. Wow! Wow! Estimate was between eight hundred and twelve hundred dollars. Wow! Let me sh- show fans over For here. That? Yeah. 
Yeah. Amazing. Production, a painting of Harmony's interpretation of her victory in the Atlanta season four episode Har- Harmony features Rodney McKay heroically fighting for the young princess while John <laughs> Shepard cowers in fear. Yeah. I'll tell you. <laughs> Joe did not love the ending of that episode. I imagine not. I mean, yeah. it it was but, it was I mean, a hit to his masculinity. It's a good fun, but I mean, you know, it was all in good fun and and just a a a, a total reversal of what we had set up and played throughout the the episode. I thought it was uh, well. I mean, it, Joe himself has has always said that you know he kind of looked at Shepard in many ways as Kirk and wanted to kind of fuel that energy and. I gotta say, it's kind of funny watching him come down a peg <laughs> in, that, in the end of that episode. But it's all, I think, I think it humanizes the character a little bit more because yeah, I agree. I agree. This is something he's got to put up with, you know. Mm-hmm. For it, McKay is his Spock, mm-hmm. and sometimes Spock is going to to uh, uh, draw more audience members on certain episodes than than Chatner will. Yeah. So, Outcast. Yes. So this was the episode we were talking about. Where yes. We face a moral quandary and Shepard makes a decision to feed uh, this individual to the raid. I think that's Miller's Crossing. Oh, sorry. Oh. Yeah. You right. want to go back to Miller's Crossing for a minute? Because no, we, no, Stephen no, Culp. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yes. Hey, so, you're all good, yeah, dude. I don't know how you're keeping it. all this straight anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, so again, I mean, yeah, back to Miller's Crossing, you know, we, we are faced with our character mm-hmm. making a, a difficult decision. And I remember after the episode aired, the, uh, the message boards were, were buzzing. They were on fire. A lot of people did not like John's decision. Others, um, you know, defended him. It was just, you know, I like those, those moments that engender a lot of discussion. Mm-hmm. Well, they they force us to put ourselves in that situation. Yeah. Your own daughter, you know, you sacri- how far are you willing to sacrifice to save your own child? And that's largely what, what Shepard is is pushing here because he doesn't want the kid to suffer, you know, yeah. and this information needs to needs to come out and Chris Heyerdahl as Todd wants to be fed. Yep. Yep. So it's just crazy. One of my fa- favorite lines from Atlantis is in Outcast uh, because Sunday had teed up the fact that Shepard had been divorced. Mm-hmm. And and uh, this is now at his father's wake and he's with Ronan. Ronan is there for emotional support. Yeah. And Shepard says, so, you know, I told you how I was married, right? And, and Ronan says, yeah, why? He says, because here she comes. And mm-hmm. that was that was a great little aside into the the more personal life of Shepard on earth. We didn't get a ton of that. Uh, and they, we find out, you know, they're on, even though we don't, they don't really have a chance to see each other. A lot, they are on speaking terms. They are civil. And there is a little spark of, there is a little, there's something yeah. still there. You know, it's just that things have led a different way. Yeah. I, I like this episode exactly for that. The fact that we shed a little light on Shepard's backstory. Mm-hmm. And then, whenever we get to do that, like for any character, I always find it really interesting. And, and so his uh, ex-wife was played by, uh, was it Curry Wurr? Very good. Yes. Gold and, star. Uh, yeah. And, and Joe actually is a friend of hers, which, oh. which made kind of the, kind of the, uh, the chemistry on, mm-hmm. you know, on, on screen's chemistry, all that more palpable. They were very comfortable with each other, which was nice. Absolutely. And this episode featured Emma Lahana as Ava Dixon, who at the end we discover is a human form replicator who was mm-hmm. born on Earth. 
another one of those great twists where you mm-hmm. you have uh, you have her kind of in a uh, her own isolated program at the end, continuing to exist and not aware that you know she's she's inside an artificial reality. Yep. Yep. Have to wonder, are we? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> According to a, to a recent article I read, uh, we are. It turns out, so the universe is pixelated. Yeah, and I, basically, I said if that's the case, I, I I feel I am long overdue for a level up. Yeah, yeah, or some kind of uh, I need some yeah. kind of controls to give me some extra yeah, lives uh, or something. Yeah, exactly. I'm still stuck on level uh, twelve. <laughs> Trio. Yes. Now this was an interesting one. Martin Garrow told me that this. That was intended to be a a, a budget saving episode for the season. Yeah, you, yeah. What happened? Well, be, well, Martin got a hold of the episode. Is what happened. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he was like, "It's going to be a locked, you know, like kind of one of those locked room uh, episodes." And then the locked room it, it, it ended up being this massive build on a gimbal that we could, you know, tilt. Uh, and uh, yeah, so it, it wasn't a small episode at all. The thing I remember about this episode is we weren't sure um, what we wanted to do. If it would basically be one version would have McKay trapped with Keller, another version had McKay trapped with Carter, and then a third version had McKay trapped with both of them. <laughs> and I remember we were going back and forth, and we were, and I was like, let's bring this to a vote. And so basically survivor style, we all basically wrote our, our, our choices on a piece of paper and then put them in a box. And then Martin pulled them out of the box, but read them. We put, kept score on the whiteboard. And, uh, and that's how we got trio. So the majority of people in the room decided that for the three of them? Yes. yes. So, but there were dissenters? I believe there were, yeah. Wow. Okay. I think it's funny because uh, it's McKay stuck with two beautiful, intelligent yes. women, yes. and, you know, who are really his intellectual equals in their fields of expertise. And it's it, it, the the sequence of, you know, don't you know the, the knife trick to get free beer? You know, and how yeah. they how they try to get themselves out of the situation that they're in. Yeah. Uh, basically realizing that no one is going to come to help them. These kids have basically abandoned them for all intents and purposes, yeah. uh, if yeah. I remember correctly, uh, was was a pleasure to watch. But, you know, it's it's one of those where it's like uh, when Martin told me about it, I was like, wow, you know, I, I can I can see where. Yeah, that's because his his interpretation of it was it always went. It became over budget during the shoot. Yeah. Um, well, it really it became over budget in prep when you had to build the this uh, gimbal standing set. The uh, <laughs> exactly this episode features a deleted scene that fans have been talking about for years. Mm, mm-hmm. And this uh, can, can you speak a little bit to this scene for the shippers in the audience? I don't recall the details, but it was a reference I think Carter makes to. Being unavailable. Jack. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well they're yeah, they're talking about relationships and being unavailable. And I mean it it, it I don't know how how um specific we were. We actually probably were not very specific, but the suggestion was that she was with Jack. Yeah. He he works in Washington, I think was the yes. line, if yes. I'm not mistaken. Yes. 
yeah. So it was. I don't know why we lost that. If it was lost for time, or I don't recall. It was one of those, I think, uh, great nods where, in in mm-hmm. hindsight, to the shippers out there, which I occasionally am am one, and I, I still teeter to this day. Uh, mm-hmm. It would have been like, oh, that would have been good. Yeah. So absolutely, we have midway. Oh, fan favorite. Fan favorite. One of mine fan. as well. A Carl Binder extravaganza. Yes, yes. yes. Another Carl Binder extravaganza. Uh, a ghostless Carl Binder extravaganza. He, he used to sort of joke about the fact that he would often write the uh, ghost episodes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this is a huge episode of fan favorite. Uh, seeks to answer the question, who would win in a fight, Tilk or Ronan? And, uh, you know, they go at it for a while. Uh, and we, we never really find no, out. no, they would have, they would have kept on going for a while. What was a nugget that that would have started this story? You know, it was that was that it? Who would picture this, guys? Who would want to fight Tilker Ronan? I think we just wanted to blow up the uh, yeah the, the Great Gate Bridge. That was the <laughs> for this story. It's too convenient. We've got to let it go. Yeah. There's a 24-hour yeah. holding period. That's too much. Yeah, that's not enough. We've got yeah. to blow up the space station. Yeah. 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 Uh, who was it uh, who who uh, introduced Midway to begin with? The idea? Was that a Brad and Rob thing? It was probably a Brad and Rob thing. Okay. Yeah. And blow it down. I mean, you, know, I, I, you know, I pitched out the idea of the gate networks, and then Brad was like, well, that doesn't really work because they can't connect. He's like, unless... We create a midway station. So I think it was actually Brad. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah. The uh, the the networks uh, have to join somewhere in the middle. The yeah. idea was always cool, but always at the yeah, other end, absolutely. I was like, yes. "How easy is it for our heroes now to get from point A to point B? Mm-hmm. And should mm-hmm. we, you know, take them down a peg or two? It goes back yeah. to like Atlantis with its power supply." At what level of power is Atlantis? Throughout the course of the show, in the back of your brain, you kind of have to have a running tally because it influences mm-hmm. the types of stories that are told. Mm-hmm. Also, a great spin-off idea, the space station. Make it a lot bigger, and uh, you know, it, it becomes kind of a way station for, uh, for travelers. Absolutely. Deep, yeah. be, Stargate Atlantis, deep space, or Stargate Deep Space yeah. Nine. Or yeah, it's exactly. equivalent, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, the, uh, and it was great having Christopher back yes, in that episode yes They're... yes of course yeah i remember them um practicing their stick fighting uh on on you know uh you know outside and i think i got a whole bunch of photos of them uh um, just kind of the, practicing the choreography very yep. committed both of those guys it was a whole sequence and it definitely paid off everyone mm-hmm. i i can't think of anyone who who mm-hmm. has who who um throws any shadow at midway it's a tight episode Mm-hmm. The Kindred One and Two. Ah, uh, yes, the return of Carson Beckett. I remember speaking yes. to to Paul. Was at the end of season? What, so we, we, uh, Carson was killed off in uh, uh, season three. Was Carson it? was killed off in season three yeah. and Sunday. Yeah, yeah. I remember being at the rap party and telling him, "Okay, this is how I want to bring your character back." And then we finally got the opportunity, and I was like, "Oh, it's going to blow the fans away." And then, you know, there's that infamous sci-fi promo, you know, next week on. Oh, my gosh. And they're like, you won't believe the last five minutes. And then it shows Carson there and, you know, going, you know, what took you so long? It's like, well, 
Yeah, I'm sure they'll believe the five minutes now because you just showed it to them. I couldn't. I could not believe that they spoiled that for the fans. I I couldn't uh, uh, believe it either in hindsight because it's like, you know, this was one of those big buildups, and you get to the episode and it's like, oh, sci-fi didn't just yeah. preview it; they completely blew it. Yes, you know? they completely blew it, and so all the Carson Beckett fans were tuning in or like. Oh, okay. Carson's coming back this episode. When is he coming back? When is he coming back? And so instead of being delightfully, delightfully surprised in those last closing moments and looking forward to the next episode, they were probably frustrated as they waited for Carson to show up. And then when he finally shows up, it's, rather than being like, oh, great. It's more like, <laughs> ah, finally. <laughs> Jeez. It's, you know, I, I equate it to, to Luke's appearance at the end of, of uh, Star Wars 7. Because, you know, we've been told that Mark Hamill's is... Oh, you don't watch Star Wars. That's right. But I'll take your word for it. Well, it had... Uh, uh, we know that Mark Hamill's in in the... Uh, what was it? What was that? The, the Force Awakens. But he's in the last scene. And it's like... I, I, I guess he's in the credits. Yeah, because he's technically there. But, I mean, it was one of those situations. And um, do you think that this was because... The advertising team who was putting together the promos really wanted a win with this episode and like, oh, we want audiences to tune in. So let's go ahead yeah, and use this. Yeah, I'm sure OK, was, yeah, it wasn't I'm just sure stupidity that it was a targeted approach. Well, it was intentional. Yes. Right. Yeah. I, Although I, it's funny because I've, I've since gone on, on YouTube and the promo has been altered. You're so, kidding. No, no. Wow. Okay, then. So I, I cannot find that original <sighs> promo anymore. Well, for so, so Trio had a Nielsen 1.1, Midway had a 1.3, The mm-hmm. Kindred had a 1.2, and The Kindred Part 2 had a 1.3. So, I mean, all things being equal, it didn't necessarily cause anything to explode, but at the same time, it was pretty consistent. Um, yeah. I mean, but it's the same way with, for instance, stunt casting, um, where um, a lot of the times the network will be like, you know, you got to get a stunt cast. You, you know, uh, this will be like a big episode because you're going to have so-and-so making a, a, an appearance. And so we would pay the extra money to get a guest star. And then it would have like really no effect on the ratings whatsoever. Got it. Wow. What a juggling act to create a TV mm. show. <laughs> Ugh. And working in Taylor's pregnancy with Michael, Connor Trenier is back. Mm. We haven't talked about Michael yeah. yet this season. Yeah, yeah. One of my favorite uh, Atlantis villain. A complex, complex character. And, I mean, the, he, here's a, sort of another reason. I mean, I think, you know, um, uh, Rachel's pregnancy allowed us to create a storyline that, obviously, we wouldn't have pursued Correct. Um, you know, if she hadn't been, if the actress hadn't been pregnant, and yet kind of opened the door to this really interesting relationship uh, between Taylor and and Michael. Yeah, a sick one, for sure. Yeah. And yeah. it's one of those where I think it was a lot of it was just just you know he like accusing the rest of Atlantis, particularly focuses his energy on her in forcing him to be what he was. Because, you know, they needed a weapon against the Wraith. And now she is, 
bringing life to something that she's going to care about, and now he's going to turn around and take it away from her. It's pretty right. darn insidious. Yes. Yes. So by this episode, he's perfected uh, uh, his genome or however you want to call it so that he's no longer feeding on uh, other human beings. He is genuinely mm-hmm. his own kind of unique thing, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was, I still wish that, that we had seen that character more. I think that we could have done more, more with him than having one or two appearances a season. Yeah. You know, but in hindsight, I guess it's, that's another one of those hindsight things. Yes. In hindsight, it's one of those hindsight things. <laughs> The Last Man. Oh, yeah. Another, another fan favorite. Yes, yes. Old Rodney. Yes. Shepard uh, takes a, a, a wrong turn at the Stargate during a solar flare and gets thrown, I think, 48,000 years into the future, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. It was a great what if. Yeah, I, I love those types of episodes. Well, I, in general, I love time travel, but I love those road not taken episodes where, you know, you jump ahead and you see how it all turned out. Mm-hmm. And we get that through uh, Rodney's backstory. Mm-hmm. I was watching this episode thinking, and this was just my assumption going into it, that there were sleeper agents inside of Atlantis of, of Michael's race, and he would be running and gunning back to that Stargate. Like, they had just completely taken over the galaxy or the universe, mm-hmm. and they were all that was left. But instead, it's a quiet, dismal future. Yeah, in fact, actually, what you're pitching out was sort of what I had kind of wanted to do for our season six two-parter. Oh. Which we never got to do. But in any case, uh, a conversation for another time. Oh, Uh, But uh, yeah, yeah, I just remember this episode um, just filling the corridors with sand. So much sand. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And then during that windstorm or that sandstorm, um, and I, I, I have some behind the scenes videos I can sort of, sort of dig up of, of Joe with the, with the uh, you know, the, uh, the handkerchief over his face and fighting through the sandstorm. And that sand was made up of oatmeal. Oh. It was like a mix of oatmeal and, and, and something else, some other grain. Okay. Okay. Yeah. A nice handy substitute on short notice. Yes. Yes. You know, we're going to have to have some kind of show and tell at, at some point here in the future of some of that content of mm-hmm. yours. I'd love to I'd love to show it to some people because there's so much if good can, behind the scenes stuff that you shot. If I can find it. Yes. Well, if you want to send it all to me, I'd be happy to catalog it for you. Well, I, I don't even know where it is. To That's the thing. I so, understand. Uh, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> this was a great season. Um, yeah. Really solid series of episodes. Again, proved uh, that that the show really had come uh, into its mm-hmm. own first season uh, for, without SG one being mm-hmm. shot next door, except for the, the two uh, feature films. Yep. So yep. yeah, it's um, it's solid. So Paul just wrote me, he said, Joe, Joe answered uh, the question about his impeccable style during COVID. Yeah. Yeah, my so, impeccable style dur- during COVID. I, I, bas- I basically answered him. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I basically told him that I, I'm able to maintain my impeccable style because I keep a framed photo of the actor who played Carson Beckett, always within Ireland. <laughs> so basically, I, you know, and and I know sort of, you know, this is what I aspire to. Paul is so suave. He is suave. <laughs> he is. As, as, as uh, Akemi says, Hansamu in Japanese. Uh, that's the equivalent? Yes. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. 
Let's get to some questions. All right. Uh, okay. Tiptronic SS. I would like to hear more ideas from Joe about possible SGU directions in his creative mind. Oh, I mean... Man. That's a whole... Yeah, in terms of SGU, unlike, unlike Stargate Atlantis, we didn't really sit down and... and uh, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, have you know, we didn't have the opportunity to sort of beat out stories for 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 a third season. Uh, if you check my blog, mm-hmm. there, you know, I I pitched a couple of ideas that we could have gone with in terms of you know how we would have addressed that that jump that uh, the time span between galaxies. Yes. Um, um, but in terms of sort of you know specific stories, we didn't really beat out anything beyond the ending that brad had in his mind um you know the, with the message in the uh the in the background radi- yeah. radiation yeah. and so your blog again joseph malazzi.wordpress.com am i right or uh, i think it's is it, i think it may just be joseph malazzi.com let me see let me see yeah. i me you before you me seed yes my gal is slowing down okay yes. Oh, I'll be joining host David Reed. Hey, there we go. go. JosephMalazzi.com, folks. Yes, thank you. You've got to, you've got to uh, catch up on the blog. It I do. Absolutely, yeah. I do. Mm-hmm. Dude, there's so much reading I'm behind on. Mm-hmm. Teresa MC. Joe, was mm-hmm. Technician Chuck ever given a last name? He was given a first name by accident. Um, no, he was never given a last name. Okay. It's one of the things that Tori did before she left uh, at the end of season three. Uh, it was, uh, she, she just said, yes, Chuck. I don't think that that was in the script. If I'm sorry, sorry, I, I, you cut out there for a second. So one of the things that Tori did at the end of season three was mention Chuck's last name and it happened to be the same name of the actor because he does look like a Chuck. Yeah, he does. does. (laughs) One of the things that I wanted to, um, to get back to, uh, was, was, Tori's uh, weird arc in in mm-hmm. season four, and I want to bring up season five, the the not returning in next season, but bringing her back uh, for the the two parter in the middle of the year. Uh, was that always the plan from the get go, or was it one of those things where you reached out to her and said, "Hey, would, we have this idea. Would you like to come back?" Um, was she under contract for a per, for no, no, X number of episodes? Contract. No, no, okay. she was under contract, so she was free to. to to come and go as, as she is. And then I think ultimately she decided not to come back. And so that uh, uh, kind of required us to um, change things up. Got it. In, in the subsequent episode. Although like in my mind, I always imagined, I mean, even though everyone assumed Weir was dead, in my mind she was not dead, but that's a conversation for, for, um, for season five. And you've written you've written material to that yes, end. Yes, yes, yes. So that's how I imagined we would have ultimately find her. Absolutely. Her. That was it was such a yeah, season five. I'll leave it there. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh Rocket Kajan. I'd like to know if there were plans to show a little bit more backstory for Lauren. Uh or if he was mainly there so he could get knocked out instead of one of the main team. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I, I love the, the Lauren character. Kevin was great. Uh, yes, Kevin was was always fantastic. Uh, but no, there were no plans to sort of explore his uh, backstory. All right. 
Uh, Dan Ben, any favorite TV promos, promos or DVD uh, trailers that were made for the shows? Well, I think we discussed well, one that, of those. The one I just mentioned. Right. Is one. Uh, the Infamous. One curse back in you know SG One, I think we discussed that one already. Where I mean, yes. find out that Sarah is the Goa'uld at the end of the episode, and yet in the promo you see uh, her use the hand device, so you automatically realize that she's the gold and, and and you're just waiting for her for that turn to happen um so those two promos really stand out for me the the promos on showtime mm-hmm. they must have been made I, I i remember being frustrated because like they the promos and showtime were were relating content that was not completed like, I remember for Serpent Song, you know, they had Apophis talking, and he was just talking in his regular voice. The flange hadn't even been and, added actually, yet. Yes, yes. And he was speaking with the, with um, uh, Peter's kind of Jamaican accent. Right, exactly. Yeah, you will die with me. And it's like, yeah. why? I'm guessing it's just a timing thing. At what point they got footage. That was, that was you know? strange. I remember kind of glad... Uh, not flipping up, but just wondering what the hell's going on. It's not done, you know. Yeah. the The yeah. content that they're using is not is yeah. not fully whatever. It was just yeah. a curious note that I had. Yeah. Um, Jonas, what happened to humanity forty eight thousand years into the future? You think? What What do you think will happen? What do you What, what do you What happened? You know, so Shepherds in the Pegasus Galaxy in Atlantis. Yeah. What do you think happened to humanity? Oh, they're long gone. Oh, wow, long gone. Oh, yeah. Ascended, Sadly. hopefully, a few of them. Sadly. No. <laughs> Iratus Wraith. Joe, if the ratings were so strong, why did the show come to an end? That's a complicated answer. Uh, Atlantis. This is a question I've always I've always posed because, you know, I uh, I got the sense that that the network would have been fine with the sixth season. In my mind, and 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 the studio as well. Although you know, essentially, it's a it's a lot of diminishing returns for the for for the studio. But from what I understood, there were reasons for them to do a sixth season. And I think the biggest reason, in my mind, was that it would allow us to um, bring in this new show, sort of like you know SG One and Atlantis. You know, SG One passed the torch uh, the torch to Atlantis by doing that sort of Friday uh, double feature, I, in my mind, assumed we'd be doing the same with Atlantis mm-hmm. in the first season of Universe. So uh, I was surprised and disappointed to learn that we were not. Yeah, Hewlett was convinced that, you know, there was going to be a, a season six. And when he when he found, because, I mean, the ratings were strong and everything else was going. Yeah. And um, he was blindsided when when the announcement came that Atlantis was, was canceled. I, as, as well as was I. I mean, we had... Uh, written up kind of those one sentence uh, with those those one word uh, episode titles or uh, placeholder titles titles for season six and um, the, the you know the the script that Paul and I had written for Stargate uh, Stargate Extinction yes I remember uh, Rob was pitching it out he's like you know what you should do is you know right, when you write that script you should shoot it at the end of the season. So that, um, you know, if the show gets picked up, it becomes your opening two-parter. And if it doesn't, uh, it, it, um, it, it becomes a standalone movie. Right. And we couldn't just get, we just never got the approval from, F, for F, uh, from MGM to do it. And, uh, and 
you know, sadly the show got uh, canceled and mm. uh, that was that. Understood. Victoria T, a statement for Joe. For those in France, Dark Matter is airing on Sci-Fi France in the afternoons. Thank you. Check it out. <laughs> Eva, L- Eva L, uh, who decided to torture fans with Jack's photos in Carter's bag and in her office? I loved that nod. Yeah. You even I mean, got Colleen as Cassie. There's a photo of her there. Look, looking back, I think it was something like the... the, the um the props department or the set dresser suggested and i mean i was on board because i i, I was a shipper uh mm-hmm. so you know those little, nice little touches i thought those subtle little touches um i thought were always uh were always great a fly so near it's, it's funny like you know uh, she had jack and then yes. when uh uh woolsey took over he had a frame photo with Yorkie. of his yorkie absolutely yes, which, which i remember specifically writing that into the uh into the script. It's a small dog, Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> a fly nearby. The script, uh, Joe, any script stories for season four that were written that ended up, didn't really end up making it into the end of the season that you guys were tinkering with? Scripts, you know, uh, definitely no scripts written. Yeah. Um, in terms of story ideas, I don't think so. I mean, usually if we have a good idea, it, it gets written because you're, you're writing 20 episodes a season. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, aside from that idea, like I mentioned of, uh, you know, the Katie Brown pregnancy, um, there were, I don't recall any specific stories that we, we abandoned. Understood. Uh, undomesticated equine, were there any Zelenka scenes that were filmed but didn't make it into season four? And would you tell us uh, what would have happened uh, with that character? No, no. I mean, uh, all those Zelenko scenes were gold. David uh, Nichols is yeah. brilliant. So uh, the pigeon stuff yeah. was funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he has David Nichols has a mug with a pigeon on the side of it. That oh, when brilliant. we do the show, he brings in. It's like that's just what a coincidence that is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, let me see here. Akos wanted to know why was Midway written out. We covered that. Um. Joanne Foss, when I compare the technology of the ancients on Atlantis and Destiny, I think that Destiny has more cool tech. Uh, what is your opinion on on the different eras of ancient tech between Atlantis and Destiny? You know, I have very little opinion on the ancients. Um, <laughs> just because, I'll be honest with you, it's not my favorite storyline. Yeah. Even though it was obviously like a core part of the Stargate mythology. Yeah. I personally, I know a lot of fans find that very interesting. I know Rob found that very interesting in particular. I personally found kind of the, more of the contemporary adventures, any sort of time travel adventures. Uh, more concrete. More yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, the ancients definitely dipped into meta. Um, yeah. Metaverse and, and mm-hmm. um, like, I mean, almost like spirits and angels kind of. Yeah. So. yeah. But this is this is the question that I'm sure Rob or Brad I will ask would them. Love love to answer. <laughs> uh, Duja eighty nine and others and others said in the chat they figured the impeccable style mentioned by Paul McGillian was in reference to those cat ears. Oh oh yeah probably. <laughs> next uh, next podcast yeah. <laughs> Raj Luthra was the idea ever thought of for the Asurans on the Atlantis replica who want to ascend to create human-made bodies to upload their consciousness and ascend again back to ascension yeah it's possible we bandied that idea about okay 
Uh, Dan Ben, Stargate visually, uh, the Wraith beaming technology is similar to the Asgard uh, beaming from Thor's chariot. Is there any reason and why the three different, there were three diff- several different types of Wraith stunners used in Atlantis? Sorry, that's kind of a mouthful. Yeah, uh, no, I mean, it was just, you know, beaming technology, similar to ship technology, I guess, in, you know, in, in terms of sort of just being a, a, uh, a means of conveyance. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, they were only similar insofar as essentially they accomplished the same goal, sort of like Star Trek. Correct. Uh, um, you know, beaming technology. Uh, as for the different, uh, the different guns uh, or weapons, um, I don't know. I think basically it really, they, they really depended on who was wielding them. I, I know like the uh, kind of the Wraith guards tended to, to use those, uh, the bigger stunners. Yes. And, uh, In season one. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Lisa M. At first, Shepard seemed to be resentful about Taylor's pregnancy. Is that a correct notion? Was it because he was perhaps jealous, or just what? What was your your thought process there? You think no, what's going on I, in his I, mind? I, it it wasn't it, it wasn't scripted. Uh, jealousy was not scripted. It was okay. really more a matter of him um, wanting to look out for the team. And um, maybe even sort of a, a sort of subconscious kind of disappointment in a way that he was he was essentially going to be losing a team member, a valued team member. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and I, I think it's I think it's interesting about his his character and as, as a pure person, because he's like, this is this is our focus now. This this yeah. child in your yeah. life, this one way or the other, this is this is a part of consideration. We can't we're not going to pretend that this doesn't exist. Right. You know, we have to sort this out and put it in its proper context. Mm-hmm. Your pregnancy and what we're going to do in order to move forward. It's very it's 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 an administrative responsibility and yeah. as much yeah. as a yeah. as a team yeah. lead responsibility. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Epa Erpo Homo. Erpo Homo. Is there what would you think of reshooting older Rodney scenes with an older David Hewlett for The Last Man? Um, maybe it could be fun. I don't know. Yeah. Although, I mean, he looked pretty old in that episode, so <laughs> it will be a while. Yeah, Dave. You know, Dave is still looking pretty good. By the t- he does, and by the time we have like holographic storytelling. Maybe yeah. David will be at the right age at that yeah. point. Yeah, it's funny. I remember actually he came by my office in his old man makeup, and he was like waiting outside and kind of looking in through my office window. And I didn't know who the hell he was. I thought he was, <laughs> he'd gotten lost on the tour, and I was like, I came out, and then I realized, oh shit, it's David. <laughs> Do you remember telling me the story of some of your home movies that you shot while he was in that makeup? There not. was there was one shot that you said that you got of him, and uh, I I wish that you could tell it because it was so funny the way you related to it. But he was like just kind of off in space, sitting in a chair, and you took you you took a a video of him, and it was kind of like this sweet slash sad kind of take <laughs> on an older Rodney, just kind of just sitting there doing his thing. <laughs> I got to dig that up again. I mean, I don't even know what I have anymore. Whatever I find, I always post. So, if you do, absolutely. You know, if you do a search for Stargate on my blog, you'll find a treasure trove of stuff. If you do a Twitter search just of my name, Baron Destructo, and then Stargate, because I always, you know, hashtag Stargate, 
uh, a slew of stuff as well. What's the origin on Baron Destructo? Is that a college nickname? Recall. Nope. No. no. I don't even recall. I've just I'm always, I've always been a fan of villains. So there you go. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Zuby Force, did you ever film outside of North America for any of the movies or episodes? Whoa. Yeah, we did not. We did not. I mean, for the, the Arctic traveled. Oh, sorry. Yes. Well, yeah. The Arctic. Yes. Yes. Good catch. Yes. Absolutely. The answer is yes. The Arctic. Otherwise, what well, I'm curious to the answer. What was the furthest you ever traveled? No, I, I, I mean, we did White Sands. We did Vegas. Yeah, those two. There were. Um, where was the Arctic stuff shot uh, for the Atlantis pilot and for the begin uh, for the uh, the climax to um, Solitudes? There was there was a. A snowy mountaintop that you guys had shot for some of that, and I can't remember where it was. Solitude was before my time. Exactly. And, but it was uh, the same location for the Atlantis pilot. Yeah. And it was it was not in Canada? It was in Canada. It was in Canada. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was on some mountain, nearby mountain range. Oh, okay. And I think the same one that, uh, that Christopher Judge was placed on, and he was afraid that he was going to be attacked by badgers for the Ark of Truth. <laughs> badgers. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to get those. You don't yeah, want to get them in your way, path. They'll mess those, you up. Yeah, those wayward badgers, <laughs> gangs, roving, hitting people up for loose change and treats. Like one of those old Disney villains with a cigar yeah. in their mouths. Yeah. Oh, funny. Joe, as always, it has been a pleasure. What a tremendous season. We've got one more for uh, Atlantis. And, um, uh, uh, you know, thank you again for for coming back oh. on and and going through and, and dissecting uh, this season. If anything out of out of the uh, in particular that the fans wanted covered, let's 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 uh, make sure that you guys uh, tuned in in February. You can ask those questions for follow up to season four. But I appreciate everyone who uh, submitted this long list of questions, and I appreciate you for answering them. No, my pleasure as always. Thank you, David. Thank you, sir. And thank you to the fans. We'll see you for season five. Season five. And the lovely and talented Robert Picardo. Oh, yes, that's right. Bob Picardo is going to be back. Yeah. I would love to have an interview with you two uh, both on. That would be a blast. I, I would love to do that this season. Thank you, Joe. I'm going to wrap it up on this end. Be well. All right. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Joseph Malazzi, executive producer for Stargate Atlantis season four. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I will be placing the link to uh, the Stargate SG-1 new mission uh, fan film. Uh, That's going to be uh, uh, linked uh, at the uh, description once I'm finished posting this episode. I appreciate you tuning in. The show is brought to you every week for free, and we do appreciate you watching. But if you want to support the show further, buy yourself some of our themed swag. We're now offering t-shirts, tank tops, sweatshirts, and hoodies for all ages, as well as uh, cups and other accessories in a variety of sizes and colors at dialthegate.com. In the merchandise tab, click on a specific design to see what items are being offered. Checkout is fast and easy, and you can use a credit card or PayPal. Just visit dialthegate.com or go straight to dialthegate.com slash merch. And thanks so much. For your support. Next week, Tony Amendola, Master Braytac, is going to be joining us this coming Saturday, 
the 5th of February at 12 noon Pacific time, barring any unforeseen changes with his schedule. That's going to be what's going on. So stay tuned uh, for that. We will be bringing him in uh, exactly seven days from now, unless something changes. Of course, uh, we'll let you know. But plan on having Master Braytac live to answer your questions for one hour. I still have his list of questions from episode two. He was he was our very first um, uh, celebrity guest on Dial the Gate, and uh, we couldn't get, we didn't have the, uh, uh, the system set up quite yet for uh, getting the questions over to me. We didn't have, I was still trying to figure out the flow. So I've kept a lot of, I kept all those questions. I'm going to use those as the basis for the conversation. And we'll also allow other people to submit questions as well. But he's only going to be with us for about an hour. So keep that in mind. We won't be able to go over too, uh, too much to be uh, respectful of his schedule. I think that's all that we've got here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I much appreciation goes out to my producer, Linda Gate-Gabber-Fury, my moderators, Summer, Tracy, Keith, uh, Jeremy, Reese, and Anthony. A big thanks to Frederick Marcoux at Concepts Web, our developer for dial, web developer for Dial the Gate. And a big thank you to Jeremy Heiner, our webmaster who keeps the, uh, the site up to date. My name is David Reed. I appreciate you tuning in. I'm thrilled that we're able to continue to do uh, this series into season two. If you enjoy the episode, please click that like button and consider sharing it with a Stargate friend. Let's uh, spread the word on Dial the Gate. We'll see you on the other side. Dial the Gate is hosted and executive produced by David Reed. The producers are Darren Sumner and Linda Fury. The composer is Neil Acree. Animations by Bryce Ors. The moderators are Summer Roy, Keith O'Mell, Tracy Noller, Jeremy Heiner, Reese M., and Anthony Rowling. Logo design is by Deborah J. Bell. Additional effects by Thomas Tots. The webmaster is Frederick Marcoux. The archivists are Linda Fury, Zachary Adams, and Frederick Marcoux. For inquiries, please contact us at dialthegateshow at gmail.com. Visit our website for the upcoming schedule, as well as an archive of our past episodes at dialthegate.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.